0: Welcome to 5th Wall's Fly on the Wall podcast, where we explore the shifts occurring in real estate, technology, and society that are driving our cities towards a more equitable, green, and tech-enabled future. I'm your host, Brendan Wallace. In today's episode, I catch up with Jeff Blau, CEO of Related Companies, and the developer of New York City's iconic Hudson Yards. Jeff explains the art of curation that comes from building a retail destination, which functions as a city within a city. In other words, a space where visitors can live, shop, work, and dine, and the heightened responsibility landlords now hold as micro mayors of these spaces. Well, Jeff, thanks so much uh, for joining. Uh, it's great to talk to you. Where, where are you right now? I am out on Long Island. I've uh, been
1: out here for three plus months, a little back and forth to the city, but uh, it's nice to be out here with a lot of open space and relatively uh, peace and calm in the middle of what's been a, a very chaotic couple of months. Um, yeah. So it's good. you know, There's some good things, right? You get to see your kids and spend some more time and have dinner and do all that. So uh, fortunate to be able to do that.
0: That's great. And I'm sure this has been probably like three of the most tumultuous high volatility months you could ever imagined um, at a, at a real estate company on on so many levels.
1: Yeah. I I was just say um, on March, whatever it was 10th, I didn't expect uh, this to to be the next couple of months coming up. I mean, it really is uh, thrown a, you know, a grenade in the middle of, you know, what had been, you know, a great year, a great couple of years and, uh, you know, a a significant growth path for us. So it's, it's, um, it's had its challenges.
0: And and I'm curious to just get your perspective, obviously related is, you know, I'd say one of the most ambitious, one of the most pioneering developers of real estate. So you clearly have a a, a view, a perspective on cities and how they're changing and what you did in Hudson Yards is obviously so impressive and, and, and so grand. I guess at a at a at a macro level, how do you think? And this is maybe such a wide question, but I'm curious to get your view on yeah. it. How do you think <clears throat> cities, like a city like New York, in 2025, how is it different at a fundamental level than how it was in 2020, if at all?
1: Right. I mean, I I, I would say I mean, there's a couple of things happening. You know, people like to in the midst of whatever the situation is um, like to think that the worst is going to be the the new base case. And, you know, I I don't really think that's true. So today we hear, you know, the death of the office building, no one's ever going to work in an office. Again, everyone's going to work from home. You get, you know, a whole bunch of corporate leaders saying half my company is going to work from home. And then kind of that's, that goes down its own path. And then you get, um, you know why would I ever want to work in the city ever again? You know the suburbs are coming back. You're sitting in Utah. You know might, you might as well just stay there. Um, you know because that's kind of of the moment. And and I think you know if you think back, you know my career I had I guess four major shocks. Right. So you know 90, um, um, 08 and 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 now and I guess there were a couple others in the middle, smaller ones. Um, And each time you get that same sense of foreboding like this, we're in the midst of this. And I think it's important when you're kind of things are bad, you know, my partner, Steve Ross always likes to say, when things are bad, you know, you can't see how things are ever going to turn good. And when things are good, you can't see how they're ever going to turn bad. Um, And, you know, you kind of, I I lean on that statement quite a bit in the midst of this. And so I think if you, if you think forward, I mean, you pick 2025, I think you have to break it into segments, right? I, I think, the cities are going to struggle for the next two years, right? Or, or you know, the line in the sand is really this vaccine, right, that we all hope is, is being created. And, and it's not just the day that they say it's created, people have to actually manufacture it, and then people have to take it, right? So I don't know how long that takes. But let's say that whole period is two years. Um, you know, I think, for the next two years, we're going to be in this, like, middle ground, um, you know, where people continue to do the zoom stuff that we're doing. And, and you know half dip their toe in back to the cities half living out of the city you know the masks and all the precautions obviously don't make for a, a a great work environment um but i think once we get to the other side of that um you know i think office buildings fully recover i i actually think you know and we've seen it from our tenants um you know that are actually now need to de-densify their space you know there was this trend obviously for very tight seating, bench seating, trading floors—people, you know, within inches of each other. Um, you know, and and people just can't do that right now. So I think um, in the office space, I think you're going to see actually um, differentiation between the Class A buildings and the Class B buildings. The Class A buildings with really the credit tenants uh, that can afford to take more space and do the right thing for their employees, um, and also those same buildings that have typically large lobbies lots of elevator capacity, big capacity, new HVAC systems, um, and probably well-capitalized to make sure that you know, thermal scanners or whatever the, whatever the PPE that is that we need is available for everybody. And then you have these Class B buildings that typically have you know, less credit tenants, um, small lobbies, small elevators, bad HVAC, and I think those buildings are going to suffer. So people say, you know, what's the office market going to be like? I don't think there's a clear answer. I think you got to study, you know, one off individually. And then I think cities, I mean, there has been a trend towards cities for, you know, 20 plus, more than that, right? For decades now that people have moved from back from the suburbs into, into urban centers. And why, why? Because people, people like to be together. People like the activity of the city. People like culture and arts and bars and restaurants. And, you know, I, I don't think that's going away. Um, the struggle is, you know, will the bars and the restaurants and the culture be there when it is actually safe to go there again? And I think that's, that's the scariest part for me. Um, you know, I know in our retail centers, um, you know, we've, we've taken a uh, split view on how to interact with our tenants. Um, we've got large credit tenants that, you know, have taken the position they don't want to pay rent because they don't want to pay rent uh, because they could hire the best lawyers to go fight. Um, And we have taken a very hard line in response um, to that. And on the other end of the spectrum, um, you know, we have small shops and restaurants where I am, you know, very sympathetic to the situation. They, they, they really can't pay rent Um, even more than that. They, at the moment, they can't, even when they open, I know at 50% occupancy, they probably can't even make money pre-rent. And so, you know, I think it's, you know, every landlord's responsibility to try and, kind of make those tenants survive, help those tenants survive because that's the, that's the part that makes our city special. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we're doing whatever we can to do that. But ultimately, I think people come back. I think people, I think this working from home has been functional. Um, it works. We can operate our business, but it's not, it's not productive. Creativity doesn't happen. Innovation doesn't happen. Um, you, don't, you don't see body movements and, you know, what people are thinking by the way they react. Um, you don't get that brainstorming in the hallway. Um, and so I, I think people, we opened up some of our offices already, um, in some cities and, you you know, talking to to our people that are back, they're like, oh, it's like breath of fresh air. Right. Kids aren't running around. The dog's not in the background. I saw yours running by. (laughs) Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I do think people want to get back, but it's going to be a struggle for it, you know, a window of time and Uh, But, you know, I'd I'd say I'm pretty optimistic.
0: And Relate has obviously been one of the most forward-thinking and, I would say, kind of partner-oriented landlords as it relates in particular to retail tenants, like what you've done in in building these relationships with these, you know, smaller, fast-growing new food concepts, new apparel concepts, and attracting them to your assets and building not only a a landlord-tenant relationship, but kind of, you know, building greater intimacy with, with almost an investment, like an equity partner relationship. Has that relationship borne fruit? I mean, this is almost exactly why you have that relationship, right? Is so it's, it's not purely transactional. There's a a alignment. I mean, all right. I mean, you know, I'd say,
1: you know, we did that um, because we didn't, you know, our, our centers are in, you know, urban areas, right. Urban high rise, vertical retail. And, Well, we really these cities are all different and special and unique and what we didn't want to do was create a suburban mall in new york city or in in whatever city that we were building and so you know we we said to ourselves well how do we make this genuine how do we make it unique and the only way to do that we thought was to have retail that wasn't available in the short hills mall right it had to be something different and so you know, restaurants are clearly a big part of that equation, and so we invested in restaurants, great restaurants, to make that happen. Um, but we also thought that retail was changing, and if we just went to get into the traditional retailers, you know, that would again get back to the the mall concept that we were trying to avoid. And so we thought the retailers that are going to survive are those that have changed their business model. Right? I don't think retail is going away. I think bad retail is going away, and this is just an acceleration of all that, right? Everything that you and I have been talking about for, for a while now, right? And so the idea was to back smart retailers and, and many of these became were digitally native you know, first, right? They, went, they started online and then decided to go physical. Um, and you know, they had a lot of the things, I almost think it's easier to do that than, than have physical stores that tried to, to create you know, omni-channel presence. Um, And so we backed a lot of these smaller um, e-commerce retailers that interestingly managed to to stay in business throughout this and continue operating. Um, The stores became their drag, you know, which was not, not meant to be the intent. Um, But I think that's what makes our our retail special. It's got local retailers. It's got these interesting e-commerce startups um, and it has restaurants, you know, and of course we had to sprinkle in some of the, larger credit tenants, uh, because they, they help pay the bills. Um, mm-hmm. But we've been working with all the kind of partner retailers, as you call it, um, to help them get through
0: this. And one of the things that, you know, I was fortunate enough to stay at the, the Equinox <clears> Hotel <throat> at, at Hudson Yards. And I think what's so interesting about Hudson Yards is it's kind of like a city within a city, right? It has the, It has everything, right? You have multifamily, you have retail you have restaurants you have fitness you have event centers you have art installations it's such a it's such a kind of eclectic combination of of assets that i think work together you really feel like you're in a a micro city and i'm curious just you know this crisis in some ways has um changed how landlords think about themselves as almost like micro mayors of, of having this responsibility for you know their their slice of the world do you, do you think about related as kind of increasingly having that view in terms of like the safety of everyone in your micro city is your responsibility and you almost have greater control over it than the city does at some level? And and in some ways, that's a real positive. In some, in some cases, that also puts more responsibility on landlords.
1: I'm, I'm glad that you had those observations because, I mean, that's really what we tried to create when we thought about Hudson Yards. This didn't happen by accident. There was a lot of planning and thinking as to what was, it was curated in a way, right? And, you know, the idea was was truly to create within a city, you know, a live, work, play neighborhood. And that's kind of cliche to say, but if you think about Hudson Yards, that's, um, what, it is. that's what it is. I mean, we yeah. We always, you know, we, we use kind of a day in the life, right? A day in the life at Hudson Yards, right? You can work there, you can live there, you go to Equinox, you can stay at the hotel, you go to the restaurants, you go shopping, get a spa, you know, whatever it is, and you never have to leave. Um, backup resiliency for power and energy and kind of all these things, environmental sustainability, that, you know, we thought about because we wanted to be prepared and in a way to have, create the city of the future, now I, I won't take credit that we we definitely didn't plan on a, on a pandemic um, and, and preparing for that, but we did plan for a lot of things, and as a result, the resiliency, that close in nature of living and working um, you know by each other, I think actually played really well through this pandemic um, because the whole issue, one of the many issues of it going back to work right now is public transportation and being out. I mean here, I mean, everything is at your fingertips. And, you know, I think people will come to appreciate that um, even even more so now. And as I said earlier, the Class A buildings. And, I mean, we have taken a huge customer-centric approach to bringing our tenants back in terms of all the, you know, doing all the proper things and being ahead of the curve. And, you know, people, um, you know, that are living nearby or at Hudson Yards can can, can continue going to work without the struggle that is being you know that, that comes with going back in into the urban centers right now.
0: Yeah. And that's you know something we've talked about a lot, just this this dynamic between <coughs> thinking about retailers. You know, so many young emerging retailers, their first response when you know they want to open a store is, I want to be on avakinney or I want to be in Soho. And you know, then they have to take this shell space from a landlord that doesn't own the building next to it and build <coughs> the street environment. Right. Um, but there's something it's really powerful for in that curation because you, related, have this almost kind of command and control relationship where you can curate, you can kind of make decisions at a macro level. And I'm curious, you know, in that responsibility, how are you thinking about technology, right? This pandemic has in some ways been like a wake-up call for a lot of people. And one of the most obvious touch points is access control. Like, how do you control who gets into and out of assets? And what criteria do you use? Has it changed some of your thinking around that? Obviously, like temperature screening is the obvious. Um, right.
1: I mean, you know, we, we again, we, as as you know, I mean, we, we tried to be on the forefront of technology, but if it changes so fast, the forefront is old by the time you, you install it many times. But, you know, at, at the buildings, Um, We do run the buildings from, you know, high tech approach in terms of building management systems and, uh, you know, doing that to create efficiency in our energy consumption. Uh, But we also uh, created a system uh, we call PASS, you know, which allows for this frictionless access into the office building. So, you know, if you and I have a meeting on Outlook, and we talked about this once before, um, you know, that you'll get an email early in the morning confirming your meeting at whatever building at Hudson Yards, give you directions how to get there. When you come into the building, it's gonna register that you're there. Um, It'll send you a QR code and you would just swipe without touching, uh, turnstiles. Uh, You'll immediately get a readout and a message sent to a destination dispatch elevator. So you again, getting to the elevator, not touching anything, um, going up. And when you get into the building, it will send an email to people upstairs telling whoever you're meeting with and an assistant. Uh, telling them you're there, and then depending on what they say, it might tell you to go to a certain conference room. So all that without having to go to the you know typical surly security guard that asks for your ID and you can write down Joe you know schmo and sign in, um, yeah. which you know is just kind of useless security in and of itself. And so we've tried to incorporate a lot of that technology, and you know now it's certainly the, uh, uh, the, the hand uh, scans for our our uh, tenants to get through. Um, the turnstiles and the, and, and you are able to call the elevator from your iPhone um, have all, you know, become very handy and, and, and useful. And uh, so, yeah, I think technology has been helpful and uh, you'll, you'll see more of these kind of building systems, um, you know, become technologically advanced uh, over yeah. time. And I think it
0: obviously favors newer assets, right? This opportunity to, to like, you know, build a, build a micro city that you do, you do really control, and I know that sustainability, obviously, has been very important to Related and, and what you've done at, at Hudson Yards. And I'm just curious, you know, the, I had a conversation with a, a Harvard professor who focuses on kind of industrial hygiene, and, which is now obviously a very important topic. Have you, have you seen more questions from tenants about air quality? And, and the reason I ask it is that I just signed a lease for Fifth Wall uh, six months ago, and it right. never even occurred to me that I should be asking about air quality. For sure, if I'm signing a lease in 2020 or 2021, I'm asking about it. Have you seen that from tenants?
1: Absolutely. Um, You know, we have, again, this goes back to the have and the have nots on these office buildings. So we already had kind of the most advanced um, HVAC systems with clean, you know, fresh air intake uh, that exceeded kind of any industry standard. And and actually it's very easy for us to dial that up, which we did right now. Now, interesting, there's a trade-off between fresh air intake and energy efficiency because the more fresh air you bring into the building it either has to be heated or cooled depending on the season which uses more energy today we we have moved to more fresh air and you know we'll we'll moderate that as as necessary Um, so yeah I i think you know those things uh do make a difference tenants are looking to see you know what you're doing like we're studying um uv light right now and you know there are different types of uv that uh, are not dangerous to humans, and so we're we're considering uh, replacing, you know, elevator lighting with UV lighting because elevators are, are you know, a bottleneck spot where people have to come into somewhat close proximity. Um, so, yeah, we constantly are challenging our teams to find kind of new technologies and how the buildings can uh, operate more efficiently.
0: And what are some of the? I'm just curious, like, what are some of the kind of counterintuitive questions you're getting from tenants now? Like, I think air quality comes, comes up as an obvious one, but what are tenants asking about today that they weren't asking about six months ago?
1: I mean, you know, I think the biggest, um, you know, question we see from both sides, and, and I'm, I'm not sure, you know, how it plays out, but um, it's, it's kind of what we said about, you know, we, you hear a lot of business leaders now talking about, you know, working from home and decreasing office staff. Um, and having people work remotely on a more permanent basis, which then you know you have all the analysts say the death of the office building, and so we we are actually hearing both, right? So um, to hear from large tenants that they have to take more space immediately because they don't want their they can't possibly have their their employees come back to such dense space, and at the same time it could be an hour later from a different tenant saying, you know, I I, I got to give back some space because you know I don't need it I can't afford it my employees are going to work from home in the same day right, right. so it, it, it's 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 interesting and um you know I don't know at the end of the day which one outweighs the other um, yeah. if you had a very strong view on it you could buy some of the uh, office reits at a pretty big discount right now um, right. but I think that's it's playing out in both directions
0: and one of the things I had a conversation with um the CEO of Jasena uh, the, the largest office owner in in France and one of the interesting topics that came up is why do we have a five day work week, right? Like, you know, if you, if you look at a lot of your assets, I mean, you're, you're accommodating knowledge workers, right? These aren't manual. There's not a lot of manual labor happening in, inside your assets. And the, the five day work week is in some ways, a, a relic of an age that has long passed us and yet everyone sticks to it. And in some ways the the bottlenecks and the the logistical problems that come from that are Unnecessary. Like, why does everyone arrive to a building at between you know seven and nine a.m. on Monday through Friday and leave between five and seven p.m.? And a lot of those teams don't need to work together. I guess a long way of leading into: Do you think we're moving away from a five-day work week, regardless of how office changes? Do you think we're we're entering a world where it's a twenty-four-seven work week? But there's these kind of um, there's a continuum of when people are free and not free? Or do you think that's too far out there?
1: I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel like uh, we're already, uh, we've already been at that place of 24 seven. But um, I do think there's some semblance of order, you know, by having, you know, weekdays and and weekends and schools, schools operate that way. And I think that would, might just be a cultural change too far. Um, But I, but I do agree with you on, the staggered starts and, and that that will definitely happen. You know everybody's talking about that and primarily to ease congestion on public transportation. Yeah. Um, and so I, I I you know I think we'll see some companies or groups within companies starting you know at six a.m. and working till whatever three four five um, you know and then some people in that normal bands and um, or it could be ten to eight or you know whatever it is. Um, people are definitely talking about that and we're actually as landlord helping our tenants coordinate so that if someone wants to pick, you know, seven to five, that we have, you know, the next tenant aware of that, that there'll be that influx of people coming in and hopefully they'll pick an hour later or whatever, or whatever it is. Um, so I, I, I do think, um, you know, we're taking on unusual roles as landlord um, in terms More of
0: role with, with tenants, with, with
1: our tenants, right. Yeah. And coordinated, um, you know, which we typically don't do. And then, you know, as I'm sure you're doing in your office, everybody's going through and we're doing it for ourselves, kind of the return to office protocols, right? And, you know, we've actually been working with uh, Mount Sinai Health Systems to help us make sure we had kind of the latest and greatest standards to, to do that. And then, you know, our tenants are reaching out to us and saying, you know, can you help me? You know, what am I, what, I you know, they don't know, you know, someone in, in the cosmetics industry doesn't really have the resources to do this, so we've been helping our tenants kind of create these uh, return to office protocols. Um, again, kind of more involved in their space than we typically um, would be. But again, I think that's going to further differentiate the buildings and the landlords um, that that can really um,
0: That can do um, that 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 have do that. more yeah. do
1: more in this time than others. You know. Yeah, I think that that's
0: kind of the the macro theme we keep bumping up against which is the the landlords that have you know really thought about curation in in your words but also just like master planning and thinking about their their tenants as citizens Um, our
1: tenants our tenants are our partners you know i think this contractual relationship is is you
0: got to break that down yeah No, it's absolutely true. Well, Jeff, this has been fantastic. And thank you so much for your insights. I'm sure you're juggling lots. Thanks for chatting.
1: Lots of fun. Good to see you. Hopefully I can uh, see you in person sometime soon.
0: Yeah, I hope so too. All right. Look forward to it. Hang in there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fly on the Wall. All of these episodes and more are available on our YouTube channel. To learn more about Fifth Wall, visit our website at www.fifthwall.com.